Well, it's a joy to be here. Uh, I enjoyed last evening when we got to hear people who were there when it was still a dirt road going there. Uh, They were telling me stories that I have forgotten about. And so it was a a real privilege last night to hear from some of you and to to get reacquainted. And uh, I want to share with you the miracle that you just seen. And I want to share how we got there. But before we do that, I want to lay the groundwork so that you understand uh, what I'm going to share with you is what God did with me, not with what He did with you. But God's going to do something with you. And I want to share with the uh, parable and the story that Jesus told in Matthew 25, just to lay the groundwork. And it's the, the parable of the talents. And it says, And the master called his servants. And he gave each servant, one he gave five. You can put talents, you can put all kinds of things after that. To another one he gave two. To another one he gave one. And he goes away for a long time and he comes back and he says, Okay, what would you do with what I gave you? Now, I'm paraphrasing this. Take it, take it down to our level. What would you do since I've been gone? Because I'm coming back. And the guy who had got five, whatever they were, I'm going to share, your, share with you my opinion. He said, I got five more. And what did Jesus say? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Good job, man. Good job. And the one who got two, he came in and said, what would you do with it, man? He said, I got two more. Good job. Well done. And the one who got one, what would you do with it? Oh, man. I was afraid. Afraid? Really? I buried it. I hid it. I kept it to myself. That's what a lot of churches are doing. They're hiding it. How many people has this church... I'm getting off my track here, but that's right. How many people have you talked to this week about the most important thing in the world. But I was afraid. Come on. I believe that the one who got one, if we got one hour, say, I got another one. He would have got the same response that five and two got. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy that I prepared from you from the beginning. So we need to understand, to make a long that story whole thing, we all got different things. We all got different backgrounds, different personalities. The story tells us. We're going to be accountable just for what we got. 
I like to use those numbers as opportunities. How many opportunities do we get to be able to share the Word of God? I look at it as everyone I meet, I got to get a word. I got to change this conversation to something that's really important. So, you all didn't have my background, you didn't have my personality. That's great, but you got one. You might have two. You might have five opportunities. Okay, that's laying the groundwork. We're all, this is my story. I'm going to tell you my story. You got a story too. And there's coming that day when he's coming back. I cannot think of anything worse than going through life in an American in America, with all the opportunities, and say, man, I was afraid, Jack. <laughs> I was afraid to get involved. What? My goal in life is to hear one thing. Hey, Ray, good job. Good job. I believe that's everyone's goal. We're going to show our life verses for James uh, 127, pure religion undefiled before God and the fathers as you care for the widows and orphans in time of their need and keep oneself unspotted from the world. That was our charge to go to Mexico. How did we get to Mexico? 1972. A long time ago. I've been saved 50 years. I've been in the ministry 30 years. I've been in Mexico 30 years. I've been in the ministry 50 years. Uh, we had just bought a new house in the suburb outside of Chicago. Uh, just had our fourth child. And uh, I was out working on our brand new house. Yeah, putting in grass or doing something, I don't know. And a man came and knocked on our door. And he said, by any chance do you have any children in your home? Well, I had four. And he said, we're from a local church that sends a bus in the neighborhoods to bring children to Sunday school whose parents don't take them to church. Well, I would have qualified for that, parents not taking them to church. And uh, and he said, we just want to know if, if we could bring your children to church on Sunday. And I told him an answer. I said, listen, I was born and raised a Catholic, and I'm, I'm not interested in what you're doing. Leave me alone, like get out of here. And he engaged me and said, oh, so you're a Catholic, are you? Well, yeah. <laughs> an E&C Catholic. Easter and Christmas, I was really Catholic. And uh, he said, you know, most of the people that send our, their kids to our Sunday school have a Catholic background. Why don't you let us try for one week? So I let my oldest son go, and he came back, and he loved it. Every Saturday, that church sent the man in and he visited with my son my other children and he visited with me a little bit the day before Father's Day 1972 my son came home all excited and he had a paper a promotion from the Sunday school class if you bring your father on Father's Day you're going to get a prize. 
And I had a, a little caveat with that. He says, and it, he, he said, Dad, he says, if if you ride on the bus with me, he'll give you a prize too. I I didn't have any choice. I would have been kicked out of fatherhood forever. So I went and got on the bus and I got to make a real long story short so I can get to what I really want to preach. Uh, we got to the Sunday to the church and the, uh, in the Sunday school class, and uh, my son took me in and he went and got in his seat, and I was standing in the back there, and it was a young lady teaching the Sunday school class, and uh, I was the only father there, so I'm standing like this, you know. I've never been in anything but a Catholic church, had absolutely no idea what I was doing, I was. So I just stood there, and the teacher saw me. She didn't know what to do with me either. So I was just standing there, very awkward. And a man came and tapped me on the shoulder. He said, would you rather go into the adult Sunday school class? (laughs) Dr. Schroeder is about to teach his Sunday school lesson. To me, anything in the world would have been better to get out of that place where I was and get into some place where there's going to be some adults. So they took me into the Sunday school class. And I was in there and uh, never been in it, never heard preaching before. I never heard anything before. I went through a bunch of ceremonies and that kind of junk. And he said some couple of things that caught my attention. And I started to pay attention and start listening. I go, yeah, that's true. That's right. And at the end of his Sunday school lesson, he asked a question that I never heard verbalized or directed to me before. You guys have probably grown up with it. I didn't. He said, is there anybody here today who doesn't know that if you died right now that you go to heaven, but you would like to know how to do that? Raise your hand. Well, I didn't know how to do that. And everybody, believe me, everybody thinks about that sometime. What do I have to do? Is this good enough? So I, man, I, I wanted to know. So I got out of that chair and I walked, walked the aisle in a Baptist church. And the man took me in the back room and showed me. Went through the Romans road with him. Verse by verse. For all the sin comes short of the glory of God. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. He went on through all of them, all of them. He shared with me the First uh, John five five twelve. Uh, These things have I written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you might know, not hope for, not guess, not worry about, but that you might know that you have eternal life. And he continued, and he got to Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. It says that God commanded his life towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For me, it clicked. My payment, it's already paid. Wow. The man asked me, Ray, would you like to become a Christian? I said, I sure would. How do you do that? How do you do that? I'm thinking. 
I had no Bible, nothing spiritual in my life. Maybe it's a 12-step program. Maybe I got to go to classes. Maybe I need to do this. And he said, Ray, you just got to admit to God that you're a sinner and that you know that he died on the cross. He rose again. He's the Son of God and he paid for your sins. All you got to do is pray and ask God to do that for you. And I said, I had never prayed a prayer in my life that I didn't have a bead in my hand. I did not know, literally, did not know that I had direct connection with God. I thought I had to go through the church and through channels that I don't even know if they existed. And he said, Ray, if I pray a prayer and you agree with me, you repeat it after me. And he prayed, and I prayed. And on Father's Day, 1972, I got the greatest gift in the world. I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. My life verse is, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. That happened to me on that day. Now, I know it doesn't happen with everybody that way. Sometimes it's a gradual learning, learning, learning. Boom. Mine was, bam, change. Uh, I went and told my wife, when I got home, told my wife, my wife was a lost Southern Baptist who walked the aisle when she, at the proper age and signed the card. And uh, she didn't have a real good taste in her mouth about Baptist anyway. And she, she said, you walked the aisle at a Baptist church? I said, yeah, and God saved me. And she couldn't believe it. Four months later, in our living room, the pastor came and led her to Christ. What happened then? Our desire to know. I had 30 years of a vacuum. Not even a Sunday school. Nothing. And we were... We were so engaged in the church and the teaching. Every time I went there, I got whoa, I got a two by four in my head. Man, you're not there. You got to change. Got to change. The church that uh, I accepted Christ started a Christian school the following year, and I was teaching and coaching at a community college outside of Chicago. And uh, a pastor during that year. I participated in every program they had. We went door-to-door soul winning. We went down to, the, down to the projects in Chicago. We went door-to-door there. We went all over. We had everything we could do to get the gospel out. That was the kind of church I was saved in. He noticed my zeal, and he, and he, said, he said, Ray, would you consider leaving the college and come and teach at the Christian Day School? And... Uh, I'm not a real good man with, with finances or anything. And uh, I said, you mean I can get to be here with you and other believers all day long? <laughs> of course I would do that. That's not even a, a consideration. It became a consideration the first payday. We had just bought that new house. You would think, I, I don't do a lot of the de- detail work. You would think that I would have tried to figure out, can I maintain a house with this salary? 
didn't do that. And uh, we, had a, end up, we had an early decision within our first year of, of, of accepting Christ. Do we keep the house or do, or do we serve God? And, uh, unanimous, we sold the house. Moved into a little, little building the church provided for us. That first Christmas came by, and the pastor came over to my house, and he said, Ray, he said, uh, uh, I had to fire the principal today. And he said, I want you to be the, the principal of the school. And I go, oh, I was really good in the gym. I, I could have taught people how to dribble a basketball, play volleyball, do all those things. And I was content. I was happy. I had absolutely no idea or preparation as to what a principal would do. I said, Pastor, I'll do anything you want, but you know, I'm a PE teacher. <laughs> and then he lied to me, this man of God. And God gives special grace. You've got to be careful for your pastor. He's not here so I can get away with this. Uh, he said to me, the Number one lie that God allows pastors to make. And you've got to be careful for it. He said, would you do it temporarily? <laughs> just come and teach. Just a week. Just a... Well, I found out what he meant by temporary. I was principal of two different Christian schools for 14 years. So Temporary. Is different things to different people. Temporary is a good message for us. This is temporary. Uh, for you football fans and baseball fans and basketball, this is preseason. How you play the game when the game is on depends on what you do in preseason if you're prepared. Real time is going to be not even going to keep track of time. There won't be any temporary. There's not even going to be night or day. I'm excited about that, man. So, during my tenure of being, I'm going to try to cut this a little bit. Uh, we, I was principal of a, of a school in Texas, Garland Christian Academy. Uh, had a missionary come and speak. And uh, he was a missionary. From, he founded Mount Hebron Bible Institute in Monterey, Mexico. And he came and spoke. And he was about maybe five foot two or five foot three. The little guy survived a fire, had his face, half of his face melted off. He planted about two or three hundred churches in, in Mexico. He had a Bible Institute. And he came and he preached. And he was a great missionary, but he was a terrible youth speaker. And he was speaking to our high school and, and junior high. And he. he put them to sleep, and he was doing a good job putting me to sleep. And at the end of the service, the bell rang, everyone went out, and he got up, to, he came up and got up to me. He was about like that, I mean. And uh, he said, what are you doing to get these kids involved in missions? Nothing. Never even entered my mind. He said, have you ever been to the mission field yourself? I said, no, no. I'm thinking, that's for crazy people. You go out and you raise your own money? 
You go to church, to church, to church, to church, to church, to church, to church. You leave your family. You got to learn a new language, a new culture. And the majority of them come home in two years. <laughs> That's crazy. And he said, you're not going to give these kids a Christian education. And that was my goal. That was my, the thing that drove me. You're not going to give these kids a Christian education until you get them involved in missions. And he gave me a brochure from Mount Hebron Bible Institute. Now, the church where I was was supporting him for years. And he leaves. So I go, man, maybe I ought to do that. It seems sort of adventurous to me <laughs> to take a mission trip to go to a foreign country. So uh, I went in to get authority from my pastor, Dr. Gary Coleman. And I, I said, Brother Gary, like this is my idea. I want to take a mission trip. I want to take some of the young people to get to the mission, go down and see Brother Ashcraft and see how we can help him. And he could have said at that time, that is insane. I am not going to take the responsibility. I'm not going to take the liability. But he didn't say that. He said, Ray, it's a great idea. I've been thinking about the same thing. He said, you raise the kids. He says, I'll get the bus and I'll pay for the trip. And I go, whew. Had no idea what I'm doing. No idea. I convinced the parents of 20 juniors at Garland Christian Academy that I knew what I was doing. And that I was going to take their precious child into a foreign country and they were going to serve God and I was going to make sure that they got back. And I was absolutely clueless. Uh, you would think they, an educated or semi-educated PE teacher would uh, have investigated what would you have to do to bring a busload of kids into a foreign country. I looked at the map and I saw that Monterey was about 100 miles in, 120 miles in. And I would just drive like that right down the highway. Not knowing any of the laws, being negligent of the details we, we raised him up, we got him on the bus, and we're driving down, and we're getting right to close to Laredo, and right close to the bridges, and the line was really, really long. Then I got to thinking, what's taking everyone so much time, man? We just drive through, you know? And a lady comes and knocks on our door, and she says, by any chance are you going to Monterey because I need a ride? And I'm sort of in a panic state right there. I thought, well, she knows where Monterey is. I know where a dot on the map is. And if I did not have room, I think I would have sacrificed one <laughs> to bring her in because it's better just to be sued by one person than, than the, all of them. But we had room. We got her on, and she said, we're getting close to the gate. You need to get your paperwork together. My answer gave her a clue as to what she was dealing with. I said, what paperwork? I didn't have visas. I didn't have anything. I didn't, we had to pull out. It was a mess. We had to communicate with all the parents. We got things faxed to us and got it all together. It took us three or four hours to get it all together. I don't know what those parents were thinking. What else are you going to do with their children? 
But we got in, we got through the through the gate, and she got us through, and uh, I got finally a chance to talk to her. By any chance, her name was Molly Bergen. By any chance, Molly, what do you do at, in Monterey? She says, I teach at the Mount Hebron Bible Institute, the place I was going. <laughs> My first mission experience. And it's been that way for 30 years. Miracle after miracle. We get to the to the Bible Institute. Now we get there real late at night. We had planned on getting there during the day where we can see everything. We blow there late at night. There's no one alive. Everything's everyone's sleeping. Dr. Ashcraft forgot where we were coming and he was not even in town. We got someone there to open the classroom doors and we slept on the floor. But we had to get up real early because they had early classes. And Mrs. Ashcraft realized what had happened. She went and got food. She fed us. But there was no one there to, to supervise any work. And I got these 20 kids, and I said, we're going to work. So I went and bought a bunch of paint, all beige paint. And we painted every building there beige. I would like to have seen the reaction when Dr. Ashcraft returned, to seeing that all the colors of his place changed. On Friday, they, they took uh, an evangelistic tour, or uh, outreach. We went with them, and we went door-to-door. We had Polaroid cameras. We took the picture of the families. Those who have been to the Blue School, this place was very similar to that, very rustic, very, very poor, very uh, basic. And uh, we said, well, you want your, these pictures? And they said, yeah. I said, well, you've got to come to church tonight to get it. So we had this whole colonia was there to, to get their pictures and uh, Tommy Ashcraft preached, seen a bunch saved, and uh, I said, "Wow, I got to do this every year." We went back, we reported to the church. We took another trip the next year. The following year, we took two trips. On one of those trips, Doctor Ashcraft said, "Would you take your next trip and go to Jimenez, Chihuahua? My son is starting an orphanage there, and he needs some help." And to me, as a man. It was a new adventure. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we went, recruited a group, and we went to Jimenez Chihuahua. Uh, we went there, and it was a disaster. Uh, no regular food, no regular care. Part-time people coming in and going out. It was a disaster. Kids weren't even in school. And uh, when I was there, God said, uh, Ray, even you, PE teacher, can do better than this. And uh, God called me. I was 49 years old. Had three kids in college. One in Florida, one in Minnesota, one in Wisconsin. All in Bible school. And I had one that was with me. We went home. uh, Resigned. Told my family what we were going to do. And uh, went and invested everything that we had in that children's home in Jimenez Chihuahua. And the man that I went to work with for didn't show up. He knew I was coming. Didn't show up. We had a bus that we lived in. He showed up a little longer than a year and a half or so later. We had a children's home built. And he came and confessed to me that he was immoral. 
His, his marriage is destroyed. That he was financially corrupt and dead up to his ears. And uh, I had to make a choice. It never entered our mind, my wife and myself. You know, man, I did all you said, God. And it sure turned out miserable. We were 50 years old, living in the Chihuahuan Desert, out a penny to our name. But we said, you know, well, we, if we're going to stay in Mexico, we better go to language school. <laughs> Good idea. So we went back, we found a place in Rio Grande Valley, went to language school, and uh, I was not a very good student. Uh, I found out that my brain was unusual in the fact that it was Teflon coated. <laughs> nothing, nothing stuck. Uh, got invited with the Bible school to, to do an evangelistic campaign in, in Reynosa. We went and saw a bunch of people saved. Same thing happened. And I got confirmation, my wife got confirmation that that's where we we're supposed to be. But it wasn't always a... We hit we hit the home. We're going to serve. Are we going to keep that home? Uh, we, we, the first time we went, it was an absolute failure. And uh, the third time was great. Are we serious when we say we want to serve you, Lord? Are we serious? And uh, I found a bilingual pastor. I got to hurry up. And I told him, I said, I needed to get an appointment with the mayor of Reynosa. Now, a mayor of Reynosa, it's a big city. You might as well just call him king. Like, he's a king. Whatever he says goes. All very, very corrupt, very, very difficult, difficult people to work with. And I said, you've got to get me an appointment with him because I want to tell him what I'm going to do in Reynosa. And he said, Ray, you can't do that. He's a very, very important person. And that offended me. Uh, I said, you know, Juan, you're a pastor and I'm a missionary. The man that we work for is pretty important. Pretty important. We're going to get an appointment. And we did. Four months down the road, an appointment. In the meantime, he, he disappears on me. So I'm struggling in language school, and I got in a meeting with, with the mayor. I wrote out what I wanted to say in English. I had the people at language school to help me translate it, and I memorized it. And I went in and met the mayor. I introduced myself. I'm Ray Hanson. We and my family are here. We're going to have a we want to have a children's home, we want to have a Christian school, and we're going to have a, a, a camping ministry. And I don't know how to do that legally with you. I said, would you, would, you, would you help me do that? And he looked at me like I was crazy. He said, I don't know how to do that. And I had prepared in my mind the thoughts and the Scripture. I said, all authority is given by God. And those who have authority over anybody else are going to give an account to God how you've used that authority. I said, you're going to give an account to God for how you've treated the people in Reynosa. What I can do is I can help. Would you help me? And his countenance changed. Everything changed on him. 
He said, I don't know, but he said, I'm going to find out. I left and we started a, a correspondence meeting every three or four weeks. And what did he end up doing for us? Well, he gave us the land. I had no paperwork. I didn't have a 501c3. I didn't have any anything legal. It was just me. Didn't even have a business card. Didn't even have a name. And uh, we chose a name. He helped chose it. He, he did all the legal work for us. He cleared it through the Victoria City for us. Uh, and we, we got three rules that we had to follow when we got the land get donated to us. We had to put a fence around it. Our first fence was those green posts you buy in Home Depot. We put them down and we put a string of bob wire around it. That was our fence. We had one place where we could take that bob wire off and get in. That was our gate. Uh, we had to bring utilities to it. And we had to fulfill what we said we were going to do. We had to have a children's home, school, and camping ministry. Well, I've got that deal with God. Uh, I, if I don't do that, just kill me. I don't want to be an embarrassment to anybody. Get it over with. So I, I'm well motivated. <laughs> we got this. I got 10 more years on my contract with them. And now it's all going to be over. Uh, <clears throat> So we, we had that. We didn't have any money for the utilities. Uh, I met a lady. She said, I'm going to pray about helping you. And in the meantime, I found out that it was going to cost me $25,000 to get the utilities there. To me, $25,000 at that time was impossible. A, a mountain that I couldn't climb. And uh, she called me back and she said, uh, God told me last night I was going to give you twenty-five thousand. Now I heard that I heard that all during my time in, ch- in good churches. That the missionary got exactly what he asked for: fifteen dollars and thirty-six cents. A check slid under the door, and I'm always like, "Oh man, yeah, that's a bit to take." <laughs> but it happened to me, and so we start making preparations for to get the utilities there. And a couple of months went by. <clears throat> And uh, she gets me a phone call. She said, Ray, she said, there's been major problems, two major problems in my family. That money I promised you, I can't give it to you. She said, it really hurts me. And I said, well, uh, it didn't hurt her as much as it hurt me. I'd been bragging about that, bragging on God's provision, and then I had nothing. And I got in my car and drove over, and I'm on a property, and it's all covered with garbage. And a pickup truck pulls up, the guy gets out and sets up a, a, a transit. He's starting to survey the equipment. Now here I am, a missionary, supposed to display the love of God to the people I encounter. And I'm Jesus at that time wasn't real high on my list. And I'm a little upset. And I go up to him and I said, what are you doing here on my property? Now isn't that the way we're supposed to greet people? Especially missionaries are a lost person. And he explained to me that who he works for, uh, he just got the contract from the mayor to put 5,000 homes across the street from where we were. And I asked him, where are the utilities going to come? He said, well, we're, we're bringing the utilities all the way through here. He says, as a matter of fact, our, the president said that we're going to connect that. Ch- are you with that children's home? Now I'm sort of, do 
I tell them I'm with a children's home? Because <laughs> I've been such a jerk. And he said, he made arrangements, and the guy, uh, the contractor, uh, had, had contact with a children's home in his youth, and he paid for all of the utilities, connected all, all of us to the utilities. Did I need the $25,000? No. Could I have used a better attitude? Yeah. That's why I put the on the third rule for being a missionary, I put check your attitude. Because uh, mine gets a little, a little crazy sometimes. How did we get there? Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 11. It says, but without faith, <clears throat> it is impossible. Not difficult. <laughs> not hard. Not unlikely. Impossible to please him. If I were to ask for a raise of hands, how many want to please God? Here's your formula. Without faith, you cannot. It is absolutely impossible to please Him. That's going to be explained. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is. He must believe God exists, that this Bible is the Word of God, it's true. That there's a real heaven, there's a real hell. And God has allowed us to be able to hear this truth. And that He is a rewarder. I like this part. He is a rewarder of them that go to church on Sunday. Go to church in Sunday school. Go to church, Sunday school, and tithe. That's who he rewards. Is that what the Bible says? What does it say? What does it say? Anybody got that scripture open? Those who diligently seek him. I don't know what version you have. Those who, what does diligently mean? Is it an hour and a half, two hours on Sunday? Or does he permeate our thoughts? And we aim to please him. The Bible also tells us the cares of this world. And we all got cares. We got families. We got financial responsibilities. We got businesses. We got jobs. Choke off the power of the word of God. I want to tell you something about the Holy Spirit of God. He'll never ask you to do something you cannot do. But you've got to take the first step. You've got to take the first step. I'm going to get to the conclusion that I'm going to go back and fill in. He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. The only time he touched the, if it, the only time he touched the book is on Sunday, 
I can't live that way. I can't do that. Here's a conclusion. Then we're going to go back and fill in some, some space. I have no idea how long I'm supposed to be here. <clears throat> Verse 13 of Hebrews 11. These all died in faith. All the prophets never saw Jesus, but they had the prophecy. He's coming. The Redeemer's coming. He's coming. He's coming. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. They did not have what we have. They did not have the complete thoughts of God that we need to understand. And he put them all in one book for us. One book. And it sees three, three stages of their development. First of all, they were persuaded. They said, that prophecy is true, and I believe it. Now, we could believe a lot of things and not have action. But what was the second step for them? They believed him. They were persuaded. They embraced him. What does that mean? You know, I could say, uh, I know somebody. You know, I know, I know Michael Jordan. I know Walter Payton. I know about him. But I don't know. Embracing is knowing him. Doing it. Getting steps. Taking what I know to be true and putting some foot sh- uh, leather behind it. Taking that step. What did they confess? This is the ultimate place that you could be as a believer in my eyes, my opinion. That they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. What does that mean? We're foreigners here. We're foreigners sent by God who loved us who provided for us to do what? To represent Him. Does it matter what happens to us? Not really. What matters is what do we do for Him? How are we going to give an account? It says everybody is going to give an account in that last day. All I want to do is, hey, a lot of people call me coach, a lot of people call me abuelo. Grandfather, abuelo, pianacho, good job. And that's something that we got to desire. That level, that understanding changes everything that we do. There were pilgrims on the earth. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 says this. At times, my, I have this unusual ability to have my well-groomed memory disappear on me. Being confident of this very thing. Are you confident 
this very thing, that he, who's he? Lord Jesus. He who began a good work in you will complete it. But you've got to take the first step. It's very simple. Say you're, say you're born here. Someplace along this line, you're born again. From that point to the point that you croak, I've got nine years left. Is the only time we've got to serve God. What's the reward? We all have uh, uh, assumed that the American dream. I work till I'm 65 and then I get to do nothing. The American dream is a nightmare. I preach to a lot of people who are retired. And what they're doing daily? Looking for something to do. Well, let's go play shuffleboard. Or let's go play golf. Or let's go do this. There's a tour over here. There's a tour over What? The years that you have, you're retired, you've got money, you've got experience, you've got time. And you're going to go play shuffleboard? Hello? And that's going to last how long? A couple of years. And we have an opportunity to invest in what? Eternity? <laughs> Eternity? Can we get that concept? I've added to that verse... It's not biblical. It's, 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 it's Hanson thought. Being confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will, let, uh, will complete it if you let him. If you let him. What happens when you're in church? What happens when you're having devotion? We had enough doctrine to change the world in three or four songs today. And we all sang it. Was that idle talk? Did we mean what we sang? Does it make any difference if we sing it or if we say it? If we let them. When was the last time? I'm not going to ask for hands because this will be embarrassing. These are terrible questions to ask. But I'm, I'm a terrible guy. <clears throat> when was the last time you came to church? When was the last time you were reading in your devotional? When was the last time you heard a song? That when you came and you saw what the truth was. And you saw the truth was right here. This is what God says. This is what I want you to do. And you're down here someplace. Guess who's got to adjust? You hear the truth, but you don't engage the truth. My first 10 years of being a Christian, I had so much, so much garbage that I had to take care of. 
I was afraid to miss church because I was afraid I was going to miss something I was supposed to do. If you go to church and you hear it and you say, i got to adjust, and you make that adjustment, you go here. Now where does the level go? You're going to take another one, then another one, then another one. Before you know you could be living by faith as much as I'm living by faith in a foreign country just by being obedient to what you hear. You'd come to church. It's like, it'd be like playing in a football game and you're getting time to go into the huddle. You go in the huddle, why? Because you want to be along and get, get the right assignment for the next play. That's what I see church as. It's the huddle. Yes, it's a time for fellowship. Yes, it's a time to sing. Yes, it's a time to be happy. A lot of people in churches aren't happy. It's a time to be together. But what's the next play? I want to do my job. And we have that kind of anticipation. I'm going to be talking to God today, and He's going to tell me what to do. Does that happen every time you go to church? No. Did it happen more frequently when I was a new Christian? Yes. You hear, and you say, God says, do this. You take that step. Tell you something else, you take another step. And he finally says, I can just see him looking over the portals. Hey, we got someone who's listening. Let's open the windows and the doors of heaven and give him a blessing that he can't even contain. By doing what? Living by faith. What's living by faith? Hearing the truth and saying that's the truth over there, but I'm going to live this way. Living by faith is obeying the simple word of God. And the Holy Spirit of God will not ask you to do one thing you cannot do. You can't allow fear to override what God's asked you to do. And our country is turning into a bunch of chickens. We're afraid of everything. We're hiding behind everything. Oh, I don't want to offend him. Oh, that offends me. Oh, grow up. Grow up. And we just fall right in with the culture. One of my favorite verses is Luke chapter 9, verse 62. I'm going to close with that, maybe. Luke 9, 62 says, And Jesus, it starts out. I love the way it starts out. And Jesus said, Now, he can fill in the blanks anything. That's good enough for me. That's high enough authority for me. Jesus said, any man, woman, teenager, who puts his hand to the plow, you all seen those plows being pulled by a mule? You wonder how they keep them straight? They got a flag or a marker on the end there that they never, ever take their eyes off that. Any man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. What happens when you take your eye off the prize? 
that plow's going to go this way. You're going to get off track. It's going to go that way. If you keep your eye on the prize, you go straight. You complete your task. You need to understand the word fit there. That doesn't mean that you have lost your salvation. First Corinthians chapter 3 talks about those who all their works were, born, were burned, but yet they were still accepted into heaven. It talks about those whose works were gold, precious stones, and silver. Those were rewarded. How we spend our life and for who we live our life depends on whether we're going to be rewarded or not. You can be saved and go in there empty-handed. Where was I? Was not fit for the kingdom of God. The word fit there, do you know what it means? Useful. Translated several times. Useful. Can you go through this life and not be useful to God? Yes, you sure could. Or you can go through this life useful. That you become a a, a, a carrier of His presence wherever you go. Is that hard? Absolutely. You've got to diligently got to do that. In uh, Proverbs, blah, 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 blah. I forgot the for the, the, But it's in the book. It says, a fit word is as precious as gold and silver. How many times during the day do we have a chance to give a fit word to somebody? To give them hope. To let them know where they are. To let them know where you are. You want to be useful? I, I can just hear it. Man, what do you got? Your whole life is what? Show, show me something here, guy. We, I, we saved you. We empowered you. And and what did you do? Who was more important to you than me? Come on, man. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And faith is simply this. Here you are. You hear from God. You know it's true. you got a choice to make. Do I obey it? Do I take that step? Or do I say, ah, you know, thanks for the insurance policy, but I'm pretty cool like I am. Church has got to be so dynamic, so anticipated. It's two things. It's not just from here to there. It's do what? Give me. Show me. And it's all contained in one book. In one book. Can you think of the last time you had a change because of what you heard from God? You knew it was from God. You changed. Tough question. When do you stop growing as a Christian? When you croak? <laughs> I'm 80 years old. I was saved when I was 30. I'm 50 years as a believer. And I've never, 
had as much enthusiasm as I have today for the Word of God. Why? It's the power that it gives to you. We can't become bored or in a rut with church. We can't be in a rut content with what we know today. God's got so much more. You want to be useful? You want to be fit? Without faith, can't do it, man. Impossible. Impossible. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the time and Lord, we're so thankful for this church and her faithfulness to, to your work in, in, in Reynosa. So thankful for the friends that we have here, for the memories that we've shared together. But I'd be remiss to ask you, I don't know all of these. Is there anybody here today who was like I was? I didn't know that if I died, I'd go to heaven. But you'd like to know. You heard about it. You thought about it. But you don't have that answer. Say, Brother Ray, I don't know. I'm not so secure. I don't know that I know that I know that if I died right now, that I'd go to heaven. But I want to know. Every head bowed and eyes closed. Is there anyone like that? Just raise your hand. I won't embarrass you. I won't call you out. I'll just pray for you. Is there anyone like that? Second is, similar to the first, Brother Ray, I haven't heard from God in a long time. I haven't had a just to a life of faith. I haven't heard from him in a long time. Ray, would you pray for me that I would have ears to hear? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Ray, would you pray for my hearing? I want to hear. I want to please him. I see your hand. Is there anyone like that? I see several. I see several. Now, Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God will do what He uh, His purpose to do today. And we pray, Lord, that you speak to those who have a, have a need, whether they raise their hand or not. We'll be careful to give you the praise, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.